St. Augustine, um, not only did he teach what I'm teaching, but he lived it out in his own life. He experienced, he experienced, he knew it from the inside out, so to speak. Augustine lived in the fourth century, something like 350, 360, okay, he was a kid at that time. And this was a very important era in the history of the church. And his mother, Monica, was a Catholic Christian. His father was a pagan. And he was not baptized as a child. Uh, and infant baptism at that time was kind of like, it was taking place in some areas, and in other areas it wasn't taking place. So Augustine, in the tradition where he was in North Africa, they didn't commonly baptize infants. So he was not baptized as an infant, but he did go to church when he was a kid, and he would be like in the area of the catechumens. The catechumens would be in the back, essentially, and he would listen. But I think he was kind of like checking out girls and stuff like that. You know, he really his mind wasn't really present. Okay, so he never really absorbed any of his religion when he was a kid. Um, and then he only had his mother really his influence. You know, the father uh, was not influenced. And so when he um, was about fifteen or sixteen, he started running kind of wild. But he was a very intelligent guy. And his parents now his really kind of the fault of his mother too. His, his mother is a saint. I mean, Saint Monica. But. She, when she was younger, had some worldly ambitions for her son, so she wanted her son to be a great orator because he was very intellectually talented. And he wa- she wanted him to marry up, like into a higher social caste or class. And so she would, she would, not, she would say, like, you can't marry essentially until you make it to a certain level economically, and that would like prolong your marriage. You'd go into your late 30s before you'd be able to marry as a man. Okay, at that time, if you wanted to marry up. If you wanted to marry just someone at your own level, you could do that when you're 18, and no, no big deal. But uh, because of his education and all these different these kind of ambitions that his parents wanted for him, um, he was discouraged from marrying, actually. And so he was running around with women, and eventually he hooked up with one woman and lived with her in kind of like a common-law marriage for a number, many, many years, probably eight years or so. And he had a child with her, Adiodatus. Um, and then... He was kind of forced to break up with her, essentially, because of this whole idea of him he's going to marry up, okay? And this woman that he was living with was, was of a lower class. So he, he was kind of pressured by his family to, to, like, break off the relationship with her, mother of his son. And But you know what? He couldn't really hold on, so he, he then hooked up with another woman. <laughs> so... Um, he knew he knew basically from the inside out the, the stirrings of the flesh, Okay. And uh, he said at one point, he's famous for saying, you know, God, make me chaste, but not yet. Okay? <laughs> so, I mean, I really, I think that really captures the kind of what happens. The human will is divided. Okay? And this is what St. Augustine really understood, came to understand by the time his, of his full conversion. That the human will is, is weak because of sin. Because of original sin, but also because of the own, our own sins that we commit in our life. It weakens, it continues to weaken our will so that it can't really focus on the good and choose the good. Or it kind of wants to, but then it vacillates back to the, what's evil, what's contrary to God's will. So it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But by God's grace, it's strengthened and it's confirmed in the, in the good so that it becomes whole. It's no longer divided against itself. It's unified. And it's, Directed rightly, and uh, Saint Augustine had some intellectual problems with the, with Christianity. Um, he again, he was very bright, so he started to study and read and inquire, and he kind of got a kick out of out of um, uh, 
uh, arguing with Christians and his mother and priests and giving them a hard time when he was a teenager. He was a know-it-all teenager. I think I've been there myself. And um, so what he did, though, in his pride, he got he got wrapped up with a, a kind of a weird cultish religion called Manichaeism. And so he, he you know, kind of joined the Manichaeans sort of in opposition or in rebellion to his mother. Um, all the while, he's going through a very high-class education, and he's getting a good education. He eventually becomes a teacher of rhetoric. Um, so he's kind of got three things going on. He's got his, his life with the ladies. He's got his education, but then he's got his spiritual life, and he's, got it, he's in this kind of a cult, cultish kind of uh, religious movement called the Manichaeans. And, but over the years, though, as he becomes educated and very very smart, and he really reflects very deeply, he sees the Manichaeans are, are false, and he kind of leaves them behind. Uh, a significant step in his intellectual journey was reading the Platonists, different philosophers who were influenced by Plato. And so he starts to conceive of God more properly and more correctly by, by virtue of reading these pagan philosophers. Um, and, uh, but he's still got all of these problems about Christianity, about God becoming a man, the incarnation, whatnot. But then he meets St. Ambrose. And St. Ambrose is preaching, he's listening to him, he's listening to him over a course of months. And he really starts to see, well, you know, all of these different kind of problems that I had with Christianity seem to be dissolving before my mind's eye because of the preaching of Ambrose. It's like, oh, I can see, no, no, that, that's plausible, yeah, that makes sense, no, it's not really difficult anymore. Little by little, he starts to actually get very excited because he's finally found the truth. He says Christianity is true. Catholic Christianity is true. But at, see, at that point, though, even though his mind was persuaded, his will wasn't. And there's a very famous passage in his book, um, The Confessions, where he recounts the last moment of his conversion. It took him a 12-year journey or something like that. But then by the end of it, what happens is he hears a story about these guys going into this these guys were high-level officials in the Roman Empire, and they go into this hut, and they find this book that recounts the life of St. Anthony the Hermit. And St. Anthony the Hermit, his conversion was so uh, inspired and so strong and so radical, these high-level officials in the Roman Empire immediately decide to become hermits. They drop everything. They leave everything behind to become hermits, like instantaneously. They do it just from reading this book. And someone else tells that, that what that happened to, you know, this event here of these guys' conversion to St. Augustine. And Augustine really, this is a moment of God's grace for Augustine. Augustine is really starting to hate himself, you know, and he says, God took me from behind my back and he placed me in front of my face so that I could see my true self, the weakness of my will, the stupidity of my life, the evil choices that I was making. I could finally see, it was like God held a mirror up to his face. And so he goes through this kind of a crisis moment. It's him and his friend, and they're in this villa out in in, in, uh, in, in northern Italy. And uh, he leaves, and he's like starting to weep, and he's getting mad at himself, and he's like hitting himself in the head and all this stuff. And um, he is now envisioning all of these. I think it's you know the sexual temptation, like personified by these women behind his back, who are like, oh, you know, honey, you don't want to go on and become a Christian because you're going to have to leave us behind. And then from then on, if you convert, from then on, you won't be able to do this or that or so forth and so on. And he's vacillating. He's vacillating. It's a very intense psychological kind of battle that's taking place. He's vacillating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But then he finally comes under this, this fig tree and he hears a child 
from he doesn't even know where, other side of the fence, another he doesn't even know where. Just a child singing a little sing-song song, like a play, like you know, um, like children would sing a little song. But this time it's a very strange song. It's saying, "Toli lege, toli lege, toli lege." Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. He's like, "What is that?" Pick it up and read. And so he thinks to himself, "It's the Bible." So he picks up the Bible. He turns to a passage in St. Paul that basically says, leave off your your life of dissipation and, and believe. And that's all it takes. So the word of God came this time now with the power uh, of the Holy Spirit, just like St. Paul is talking about. And finally his will went from vacillating back and forth, back and forth to to the right and became whole and unified. And he says, that's it. And he became one of the most zealous Christians ever. Um, he was made a, he was baptized. His son was baptized. Uh, he became a priest. Within a few years, he was made Bishop of Hippo a few years after that. And, um, he's one of the greatest theological minds the church has ever known. Uh, but it's by the God's grace. See, it's not to his merit. It's not to his credit. And so for all of us, let's pray for our own conversion. I want for myself a deep, deep conversion that I want to have be double-minded about anything. I want to have one mind and one will focused completely on God's will for me. So let's pray that for ourselves and for, for all of our brothers and sisters.